You are listening to Inside Healthcare, a podcast presented by NCQA. Hi again, and welcome to Inside Healthcare, brought to you by NCQA. I'm your host, NCQA's Communications Director, Matt Brock. On this episode, we'll talk with Dr. Susan Bean, who puts raw data to work shedding light on social determinants of health to get care to the people who need it most. Later on, we'll chat with NCQA's Assistant Vice President for State Affairs, Christine Toppy, with a look back at the policy changes in 2021 and the road ahead. But first up, Dr. Susan Bean is Vice President and Executive Medical Director for Partnerships and Medical Outcomes at Health First. Health First is one of New York's largest not-for-profit health insurers. Dr. Bean is a primary care physician and board-certified internist, so she understands both the big healthcare picture and also what we call the ground game, or what it's like to help and treat patients one-on-one. She focuses on a three-pronged approach to improving healthcare outcomes, outreach to members, collaboration with provider partners, and innovative programs at the population level all trying to reach the most vulnerable and underserved. Dr. Bean, welcome to Inside Healthcare. We appreciate you being here. Let's get started by um, telling us, uh, you telling us first about Health First, uh, what it does, who it covers, what should we know? Health First is New York's largest not-for-profit health insurer, and we actually offer... Uh, healthcare to members throughout the New York City region, stretching into Long Island and also uh, into the downstate uh, Hudson region. We have about 1.7 million members, and the majority of our members are in government programs, including Medicaid, Medicare Advantage, and of course, the programs on the exchange. We also have a small commercial population. Uh, folks who buy in, I, I, I presume. Correct. Um, and- I would may I share one more thing about Health First that is, sure. is really interesting. Sure. And it is that we are a provider sponsored health plan. So we are sponsored by 15 of the voluntary uh, healthcare systems in that region. And it means that uh, we are a risk transfer or value based model. And so much of what we'll talk about today are programs that we've been able to do in Health First and in our region because of that model. Do me a favor, because there will be some folks who listen to this podcast who do not understand what that term means. Uh, A risk model means that the premium that we receive is largely shared into our sponsor networks of healthcare delivery systems, and they are therefore aligned with us as a health insurer to promote the best value to their members, patients, as well as obviously to the plan and, and, you know, for the providers themselves. It is the best aligned model that we have in in, uh, the United States, in my opinion, in that it ensures that the provider systems are thinking about population health on the same or similar path as the health plan is. And I think that's something we've really been calling for at NCQA is an alignment in, in these efforts uh, to improve quality across the board and to, to improve value. We believe that value uh, increases quality. And so we're, we're all for that. So because your 
uh, population is uh, often um, derived from public entities. Uh, I imagine you're very uh, uh, familiar with the role of social determinants on health. Tell us about what Health First is done in that that area and what you're doing and what you think really works. Health First takes this extremely seriously. Um, The social determinants have been a part of our thinking around how we structure programs for our providers and our our members and our communities for for a number of years. In fact, uh, it is the driver behind my group, which is called the Partnerships for Medical Outcomes. And it became really prominent in our thinking because our providers themselves asked for help. They found that there were situations that they couldn't deal with for their their patients, their members, the communities had needed help that they couldn't give. And they wondered what the health plan could do to wrap itself around those needs. And so we have developed a series of small and some larger initiatives that are really focused on delivering community-based services to our members so that they can achieve their best medical outcomes. Community-based services like transportation, I imagine. Sure. Well, these are benefits. Mm -hmm. But when we're talking about social determinants, it's really connecting people with organizations, basically community-based organizations who are especially skilled in finding the whole depth and breadth of the need and addressing each part of that need and the sequence that the person needs. So we contract with community-based organizations uh, to do that kind of work. To identify if they need food, if they need transportation to get to the doctor or what housing, um, mental health needs, you name it. How significant is it in your population that these, um, these outside things we'll call them outside, but we all know they're related, right? But these outside things affect health and care. Uh, at Health First, uh, I have a research and policy team that actually looks at our data to try to identify trends or even gaps that might signify equity or access issues. And we've learned a lot from some of the literature that's used, you know, that's used some innovative approaches to do this. For example, um, in 2015, 16, and 17, we worked uh, with Mount Sinai on a project you know, addressing postpartum disparities. And uh, that project really helped us understand what our data does and does not tell us. And also how to find those very small but significant gaps in terms of how people are receiving services. So with that said, the majority of our members are able to meet their healthcare needs with whatever social issues or risks they have in place. Uh, However, we are beginning to discover cohorts of members who are especially at risk um, because of various uh, aspects of their social conditions and the pandemic, quite frankly. Yeah, I'm sure that that has aggravated it and perhaps made it a little more difficult to find those little places or has it exposed those little places more? Which one? I think it's exposed uh, those 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 gaps, if you will, um, those who were able to negotiate the healthcare system and navigate fairly well on their own before the pandemic, actually began to um, 
lose traction on the little bit of transportation that was making things work or the caretaker that was helping them or even, um, you know, uh, being able to, to reach the providers that they needed. So the pandemic really uncovered a lot of the need and, and made it worse. Alignment is so important for all of this to work, isn't it? Because there are places where um, they were kind of difficult to find. They were smaller things. Um, but all of those add up, don't they? They begin to add up. Absolutely. And, and so that's where alignment comes in real handy. There are backstops, I'm guessing. Tell me about sure. that. Our model is innovative in, in its structure in that it's really 15 uh, delivery systems that have to work together uh, toward one purpose within the context of Health First. And we, as a plan, work with them in all the ways that they need us to work with them. And that's often very diverse based on the context that they are of the people that they're serving. So somebody's going to be very different in the Hudson Valley from perhaps someone in uh, inner Queens, so to speak. That's correct. That's right? exactly correct. Right. That's and exactly this correct. this alignment uh, allows or, or spreads the responsibility for noticing across the gamut, correct, in, in providers and in insurers and in sort of finding the data that indicates these are issues. That's correct. And, and for the, um, the providers that we work closely with and the partners that we partner with, we're able to share data back to them that allows them to find some of these anomalies or if you will, gaps themselves. And uh, part of this, this alignment is really around uh, data and the ability to provide uh, information and knowledge. Uh, I like to call it three, 360 degrees because we can provide not only the business knowledge, but also we can provide our medical directors and chief medical officers with performance information especially quality information that helps them adjust their processes to improve outcomes. And, and you have seen better results through this work. You have seen Absolutely. improvement. Tell me Absolutely. a little bit about that. Well, the quality programs that we run come from the board. Mm -hmm. um, it's board driven and they themselves are, you know, uh, holding the delivery system accountable to these quality uh, outcomes. And so for the years that we have been working on this quality program, which by the way is, is extremely comprehensive, it includes HEDIS, but goes way beyond HEDIS to CAPS, uh, to some extent, um, you know, member uh, experience with the delivery system, et cetera. Um, it, it allows for um, equalizing care within the medical home environment. And so our providers work extremely hard on our quality programs called the HQIP program. And because they do, when we find uh, that there are members that are not benefiting from that quality program that's inside that provider's office, um, we can begin to um, hypothesize and, and work with the provider to understand what's happening with particular populations that leads to the intervention, to the program, et cetera. 
One of the things with our our discussion of equity over the past, I'd say, six to eight months, it sort of led our topic discussion. Uh, one of the things we've really talked about is the data and incomplete data and stratification of data. Tell us about those challenges, because that's what you're working with, with here. Right. Well, I think you have to start with a point of view. And our point of view uh, is that the medical home is the great equalizer. And that was, you know, based on an article out of the Commonwealth Fund in 2006. Um, Dr. Ann Beal was the main author. And she showed that if a member or person has a trusted medical home, if you will, then disparities are, are eliminated. Mm-hmm. So we start, we started from that hypothesis and tested our own data and actually found that that was true. Now, when you have that foundation and you can trust your PCP network, then it makes it easy to find the other kinds of interventions to basically realign people with their PCPs or discover where they're having uh, difficulties in negotiating the system. Um, And then within the PCP construct, you can then say to a practice, you know, I think you better take a look at this population, which doesn't seem to be accessing X, Y, Z. So I I do think that health organizations have to start with a point of view before they try to work on equity. A theme, so to speak. Yes. yes. That's interesting. Uh, You you have to identify your your goal before you actually. Yes. And do you think that some organizations make the attempt to do that or make the attempt to tackle equity, but that could be their chief flaw is they don't identify a goal or identify a theme to this effort? Well, I've, I've heard some amazing um, efforts around equity. Um, organizations that have looked maybe at the neighborhood level for you know, uh, equal outcomes, if you will, um, devise interventions that are also in the community. So I can say that you know, I have colleagues who are extremely innovative and attempting to find some answers, but I know for Health First in our model where PCPs are so critical and important, that's really you know, helped us to bring that discussion forward and to perhaps tackle some equity issues that might be otherwise difficult. That's what I was going to ask about earlier when I was talking about this being, you know, one of our chief topics here on Inside Healthcare is, you know, we, we, it's the nature of media to love the conflict, right? We, we like the bad news. Uh, if you watch the local news, you know that all too well, but um, it isn't all gloomy, is it? It, there are people working on this. It's not great, but there's been a market change, correct? Well, you know, equity is really hard um, work. Um, And it's hard work because it requires some internal reflection to change the structure of how we deliver healthcare. Most of us, uh, you know, I'm an internist and trained in, in mostly in New York City and, you know, these are structures that have been in place for, you know, forever, if you will. And so it's very hard to think that those structures that we were raised on, if you will, are not effective for everyone, but they're not. And so part of the work 
is is in the provider office. But in addition, we offer um, access to local, regional, and national experts on equity, so that um, our providers and and our team our teammates in the community can actually see the evidence. Uh, and one of the major parts of that work was actually during the pandemic when it became clear that equity was the center of the discussion. And, you know, we began teaching, you know, what systemic racism is. Because people don't know. That's exactly right. Some people don't know, I should say. (laughs) Yes. Right? Yes. And these are, these are hard topics. So Uh I think the fact that Health First um, tried to bring forward the evidence before we, we went into the office and said, okay, now look at your data. We tried to put a context around it. Um, we also did workshops on emotional intelligence, um, empathy, and also on implicit bias that were very, um, you know, non-judgmental. Really, again, promoted reflection, which is what is needed to deal with these issues. And then we began to say, okay, how do we address, you know, these these tough issues that are affecting people that you're serving? And boy, leading by example goes a long way, doesn't it? So if you say, if you show our data and you show we have flaws and we know we have flaws in our, not in the quality of the data, but in our, our delivery of care, then it makes it easier for them to accept they might have a hole or two, correct? We, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. And I think it's, it's really taking the burden off our patients, members, clients, and assuming the part of that whole paradigm that's ours. And that's where the power is for us to change things. So we teach, we teach our providers how to do that, you know, how to understand how the difficulty in negotiating the delivery system and how members are, patients are really trying their best. So all of these paradigm shifts don't happen overnight. Health First has been at this for a while. And I think that it was uh, important that we were because the pandemic, with the pandemic, we needed all of those tools in our in our toolbox. Well, we know in uh, inequity or inequitable care has been a stubborn issue for a very long time. It's good to hear that Health First is equally stubborn in attacking it and uh, and getting after it, so to speak. And because your model is so unique, I wonder if there is some good advice, and I think you've given some already, but some good advice for other plans who are just starting out on this journey. And there will be a lot, and some will be public uh, plans, some will be private, you know, across the board. What is the key thing you think they need to do going in? Is it that making a theme, making a plan, saying something? Uh, You may be surprised Mm -hmm. at what I say, but I believe that we wouldn't make, begin to make progress if we didn't have a strong quality program. Quality is the the backbone, if you will, of uh, equity. Because if the providers are not uh, held accountable for delivering evidence-based care, then it's very hard for them to take the next step, which is equitable evidence-based care. And so our first gigantic investment was really in our quality program. And I, I feel that that opens the door for all kinds of opportunity 
for access for equity, for patient satisfaction in their experience and so on. That's Dr. Susan Bean with the goal of closing gaps in equitable care in New York City and beyond. Our chat with NCQA's Assistant Vice President for State Affairs, Christine Toppy, comes next in this episode. We spoke about how state policies have changed or tried to change for the better since the start of 2021. But as always, there's more work to be done. What did you expect of the year 2021 as it began? What did you hope to accomplish? You know, I think we thought that there would be light at the end of the tunnel, that there would be some return to level of normalcy. And we did see that, right, as a society to some degree. Uh, Certainly more comfort level with um, reengaging in um, aspects of normal life, going to the doctor normally, which was not the experience of most Americans in 2020. Um, So I think that, um, you know, that was a welcome change. uh, And I think we've adapted as a a society to this kind of new norm and uh, wearing masks, you know, um, in public places and and indoors and things like that. And, and, um, and then, you know, what does it mean to, um, to seek healthcare in this kind of um, modern um, pandemic environment? And, and all of those things obviously have implications for healthcare. And for state governments who, who uh, lead in healthcare, correct? Right, right. Lots of policy considerations for ways that people can continue to seek care virtually, uh, in person, um, and um, new ways of thinking about um, the roles that communities play. There, there are many different factors in terms of supporting um, health and healthcare. In terms of policy objectives for the year, what did you expect or what were you working toward this year that was sort of your, your main goal? I think 2020 served as a, prim- a primer or a primer for um, what really unfolded in 2021, which was a big focus Um, among states and at the federal level on health equity, which is not a big surprise, but is a welcome um, conversation that has been long overdue. Uh, And we're seeing um, many um, kind of partners at the table that have not historically been there. And I think that that is very exciting. Um, NCQA is obviously very focused on health equity and what we can do as an accreditor uh, and measure developer to promote that. And we on the public policy team are really working um, with our state and federal partners to to talk about those tools and what states can do to promote policies that are both self-reflecting on health equity and, and how organizations are built to respond and support the, you know, care delivery of their members um, does my organization look like the community it serves? Um, and so those are um, really a lot of the, the health equity um, related kind of themes that we're, that we're engaging with the public sector on. Um, I think another area that relates to that is um, accountability for health beyond health care. And so what are the drivers of health or the social determinants of health that impact how a person um, ultimately, um, you know, feels like what and their ability to even get health care. So do they have transportation and housing and food and, you know, those basic things and who's responsible for paying for those and and um, ensuring that the that the person um, can have those and, and ultimately achieve health success. And I think that another kind of um, related but independent theme is around data and around 
um, collecting it, integrating it, and exchanging it. And all of these things are interrelated, um, but they all have their own kind of lanes of ownership in the in the healthcare sector. You said at the beginning of all that, and that's impressive, uh, an impressive assessment, but you said at the beginning of all of it that what has been exciting is, is that you've seen some, what you referred to as non-traditional participants in this process. What do you mean by non-traditional? Do you mean different or states that hadn't participated in the past or do you mean different organizations? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, public health um, and Medicaid have always had a focus on health equity and always had um, an understanding of the disparities that exist in a population around access access to care. And depending on what you look like and where you live, that can have a significant impact on your ability to be healthy. Um, And so I think the new players at the table are the folks that are kind of sit outside that immediate circle of urgency where you're, where you're looking at, you know, employers who, who definitely understand that, but, um, you know, haven't necessarily been at the table in the same way and departments of insurance. So those folks that have certainly responsibility and, and recognize the importance of all these things, but haven't necessarily been in, in the immediate um, circle of folks taking action on this. And they now are. We're seeing that, um, for example, with the National Association of Insurance Commissioners, which convened a special committee on race and insurance specifically to look at kind of what's happening in the insurance sector um, uh, in healthcare and beyond healthcare. You know, and so I think that that is really important um, uh, in terms of uh, broadening the um, understanding of the ways in which health ec- or ec- equity plays out. And um, obviously, from our perspective, you know, um, the important policies that need to be put into a plate into place to address it in healthcare. So take a victory lap. What were your big victories in this past year? Um, I think from my perspective, um, there's been a ton of state activity where, um, where we are really excited by, um, you know, states at a very high level, looking at opportunities to kind of bring their different agencies together to address these comprehensive goals. And so, you know, states like California and North Carolina are doing this. There are many states. Those are just two that come to mind um, where they're looking at, you know, what are our, our public health goals? What are our healthcare goals? Um, what, what are our equity goals? And uh, what can we do to align our agencies around those um, integrate our data, you know, make the most use of that information to inform population level policy uh, decisions individ- and, and be able to harness that data all the way down to the member level. So they're really kind of comprehensively examining how can we do this better? How can we as a state, you know, harness our public purchasing power, be a better regulator, um, be a, a good um you know, partner to to the healthcare system that delivers the care and ultimately support the the um, you know the enrollees of the state, whether their healthcare gets paid for by the state and by the feds or um, through you know private healthcare insurance. What do you expect in twenty twenty two? What is the push? What is the goal? Obviously, a continuation of this equity work. 
Right. Absolutely. And definitely um, all the themes that I mentioned will be continuing into 2022. I think we um, there's a, a, a lot of interest um, in how states are going to be responding with respect to federal funding that's coming down to states through ARPA um, and uh, the American Rescue Plan Act and um, how that how those funds can be kind of channeled in a really uh, um, efficient and effective way within a short time frame um, to affect change. And that's all related to social determinants and long-term services and supports, a, a big bucket of, of, um, of opportunity, I would say. There are a lot of opportunities out there. Um, and one of the things your team does is sort of inform state government, state agencies on ways they can uh, use these opportunities to improve the quality of care, but it also creates opportunities for them as well, uh, specifically financially. So uh, tell us about that and um, and tell us what, what you intend for the year to look like ahead in that area, because there's a great deal of money on the table, I believe. Right. Yeah. With the we definitely expect everything I've highlighted to continue into 2022, and I think with respect to the ARPA funding, mm -hmm. and specifically with funding around home and community-based services or HCBS, there's um, a, a desire for um, using this funding, which has been long overdue, to provide infrastructure to states workforce capacity, um, as well as quality improvement and measurement and accountability. And so the degree to which NCQA can support states um, in, in, the, in the plans that they've written, and we can describe how our programs and tools will support those um, uh, policy goals, that's our charge within state affairs. And, and to um, help them see uh, they can build it in now, what and 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 what it will help them um, uh, do in terms of improving care management, improving um, uh, uh, demonstration of outcomes. Those are those are the things that we're looking at. The funding um, buckets, if you will, were fairly broad, and that was intentional um, to allow states the maximal flexibility. And and CMS has given given folks guidance that you know uh, they can continue to hone their 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 plans. Um, as they are um, kind of working through where they think they can uh, build in these various tools and solutions. And, and, um, and so that's what we're trying to do. Well, so far, it looks like you're doing a pretty good job. You've had quite a few states sign on for health equity through your work. So we, uh, we appreciate that because we believe, of course, that that is going to improve healthcare overall across the country. So uh, one state at a time, I imagine, is... Uh, how you all look at it, one day at a time, one state at a time. It's uh, it's it's actually it's been really impressive the momentum of state interest in the health equity standards that we put out, which um, you know are being adopted um, in in California and and a, a whole number of other states, um, both in the Medicaid and in, in the exchange market. California and DC were the two exchanges that actually put a requirement in place. Um, which is very exciting. And so um, I think that, you know, there's a lot of different ways in which, um, you know, states can consider using these programs and building on their existing um, experience with NCQA programs. And so that's our job is to help them 
um, um, recognize those opportunities and then be able to um, look kind of holistically at ways that the state can benefit across its populations. NCQA's Assistant Vice President for State Affairs, Christine Toppy, assessing where we are with state's healthcare policy and what's to come, we hope. Next week, we close out the year 2021 with a final chat between NCQA President Peggy O'Kane and Vice President for Public Policy and External Relations, Frank Michike, and we'll be taking a look back at 2021. As always, we welcome your comments and feedback Contact us at communications at ncqa.org. That's communications at ncqa.org. Let us know what you think about this week's interviews. Send us ideas for hot topics, something you'd like to hear discussed. And feel free to share your ideas for potential guests for the podcast. Of course, you can find out more about our tools, products, and trainings at ncqa.org. Thank you for joining us for another installment of Inside Healthcare. On behalf of our producer, David Smolar, I'm Director of Communications, Matt Brock, wishing you good health. Until next time, we'll see you again, no doubt. You've been listening to Inside Healthcare, a podcast brought to you by NCQA, the National Committee for Quality Assurance. Inside Healthcare is available on your computer or mobile device, through Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and on our blog at blog.ncqa.org forward slash podcast. Mm-hmm.